Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and it is the second week of March. I hope you are getting outside and enjoying some of all that our great state has to offer. I know this past weekend I took advantage of the great weather and uh, got out to do a little bit of shed hunting. Uh, I had about two, a little over two hours to get out and spend, and uh, I am happy to report Actually, I'm not happy to report. I didn't find a single shed. I uh, didn't find anything. I, I looked looked pretty hard. Checked uh, checked some ag fields on a little farm that I've got permission on and uh, didn't find a single shed yet. I don't have any cameras out there, and I know that some of the bucks, maybe even a lot of them in our area, are still holding at least one side. And so, um, yeah, who knows? Who knows if uh, the, the deer on that property had shed yet, but... I did not find a single shed. What I did find, though, is a killer set up for next year. Um, there are some really nice ag fields to the north and to the south, and right in the middle of this property is a is a pretty big marsh area. And so I was able to use a trail, take a trail where I found a, a nice buck track, and track that all the way down a hardwood ridge, along the ridge, down into the marsh, and go all the way back into a really deep, thick um, buck bed with uh, multiple exit routes, rubs all over the place, just totally torn up like six or seven beds in this one pocket around this uh, like little clump of willow trees and red brush. And so uh, I think it's going to be a banger spot for next year. So that was a nice little uh, little consolation prize for not uh, not finding a shed. I did also, while I was out, find uh, a really nice roost tree on this property um, I, uh, I had a pretty good idea of where turkeys were roosting on this property, but I've never really pushed too far into the timber. There's not a ton of timber, uh, on the property. This was on the North side of the property. So there's not a lot of timber there necessarily. Uh, but I had a pretty good idea that turkeys were roosting in there. And I went in and found two gigantic white oaks with, uh, nice parallel limbs and just, uh, turkey droppings all over the floor of the, of the forest there, found a bunch of feathers. And so, Hey, between finding this roost and finding uh, a couple of really good buck beds or at least one one little pile of brush, I guess, that this uh, particular buck was using, I count it as a successful outing, even though I didn't find any sheds. So without that, though, without finding any sheds, I think it's safe to say that my brain has shifted really hard to turkeys. I am getting absolutely pumped up. For turkey season this year. One of the most exciting things about it is I'm going to get to take my seven-year-old daughter out for her very first turkey hunt. Um, she has been eat up with it since I started turkey hunting. She loves watching turkey hunting with me on, on YouTube. She loves talking about turkey hunting with me. She loves scouting turkeys with me last year. She loves setting up blinds for turkeys with me last year. And uh, yeah, I'm just super excited to be able to get her outside and uh, yeah, hopefully get her her first Tom this year. That is coming up sometime around mid-April. So we've got four, five, six weeks, something like that. But it cannot come soon enough. I am really pumped about that. So I'm working really, really hard right now, uh, doing a little bit of scouting, doing a lot of driving in the mornings, driving in the evening, trying to find uh, turkeys out in fields, find the areas where they're uh, where they're using right now. Because one thing I found last year, even though there were a lot of properties that didn't necessarily have turkeys on them this time of year because the turkeys were all flocked up and they would, you know, you'd see 60 or 80 of them in, in one, on one piece. Um, those pieces that had the big, huge flock typically still have a pretty good sized flock during the youth season, during the, the early, early part of the season here in Wisconsin. So I am uh, I'm working real hard right now to try to get permission on some of these pieces, and I've actually been able to get permission on uh, 
uh, two different pieces right now that have a really good size flocks on them. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm feeling pretty hopeful about the youth season. Obviously, nothing is guaranteed, especially when you're hunting with a seven-year-old. Who knows uh, how things will actually go. But I know at a minimum, we're going to be able to get out there. We're going to hear some gobbling. We're probably going to see some turkeys. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to be uh, just what it takes to get her hooked. I can't wait to have her as my as my little hunting buddy. And then uh, also looking forward to introducing my other kids over the next couple of years as they get old enough. And uh, with turkeys on the brain, what better... Uh, thing to do right now than to have a an episode, an entire episode devoted entirely to turkey hunting. I was able to catch up with Scott Ellis, four-time Grand National Calling Champion, author, and host of Hunt Quest on YouTube. If you haven't heard of Scott, you need to go look him up. The guy is an absolute resource when it comes to killing turkeys. And in this episode, we talk about building out your turkey hunting playbook. Uh, each hunt and each gobbler is different. If you've hunted turkeys for any length of time, you know that. So it's important to have a bank of plays to run no matter the scenario. And and the deeper your playbook is, the greater your chances are going to be uh, of being successful and tagging that stubborn long beard, uh, kind of no matter what nature or the birds end up throwing at you. So Scott and I discuss a few ways to help us build out our playbook and hopefully fill a few more tags this spring. One of the things I most appreciate about Scott is uh, in this episode, he mentions that he wants to be remembered as the guy who shared his knowledge of turkey hunting with the masses and uh, taught people how to turkey hunt and helped others be more successful. And towards that end, Scott has developed two DVDs, Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2, and uh, one of my new favorite tools, I mean absolute favorite tools right now, uh, is his Turkey Tech app. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm breaking out the mouth calls, breaking out the box calls, uh, getting ready to head out into the woods this spring. I want to make sure that I'm getting it just right when I'm out there. I want to be confident with my calls. And uh, the Turkey Tech app, what it allows you to do is it has Scott on there uh, running different kinds of calls, friction calls, mouth calls, and he's using, uh, using these different calls and making different turkey sounds. But this app also has wild turkeys, recordings of live turkeys making these calls as well. And it has this recording feature where you can go in and record yourself making these calls and then compare that with actual live turkeys. So it's a it's a fantastic way to become a better caller, to be able to kind of critique yourself rather than having to rely on a buddy. And also to be able to say, hey, is this just pleasing to my ear or does this actually help me sound like a turkey? And uh, like, like Scott alludes to in this episode, if you become a better turkey caller, you will kill more turkeys. If you learn to speak to turkeys better, you will certainly kill more turkeys. So, uh, yeah, with all that stuff out of the way, let me uh, give a quick plug for my own uh, Instagram real quick. If you have not already follow along with us on Instagram, you can see what all we're up to. We're really looking forward to putting out a bunch of turkey content this spring. Also, if you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Wherever it is you access your podcast, you can leave us a review. And uh, if you feel so inclined, leave us a written review. Those especially help out so that folks know, hey, this isn't a bad podcast to listen to. Now, with all that stuff out of the way, let's jump into the conversation with Scott Ellis. All right. Joining me today on the on the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast is Scott Ellis. How are you doing, Scott? What's going on, Josh? Not too bad. We're having a little bit of a winter down here in Florida. Hopefully it uh, keeps the birds from gobbling so early like they usually do and prolongs the uh the winter, the, the uh, winter doldrums, if you will, and, and keeps the birds locked up, and it'll off, often give us a little bit better spring down the road because they'll they'll come in a little bit later, and it won't be done by the time the turkey season gets here for us. Oh man, that's pretty sweet. So so a a little bit colder winter is better for you guys, huh? Absolutely, yeah. We've had, gosh, I know, I know, all you Northerners up there, you laugh, but we've had literally <laughs> highs in the forties here in Central Florida three or four times this week. And we've had frost. We've had some low 30s. That's cold for, you know, subtropical climate. I mean, it really, it's really chilly for us. And so, yeah, hopefully it's, it's going to be cold all the way through the weekend. And then I think a little bit of a warm-up, but 70s and 50s next week. So, anyways, enough about the weather here in Florida. But it's good, man. We're, we're a couple of weeks away from turkey season. And my son, Jake Ellis, is going to be on his last youth hunt with me. And it's going to be south of 70. And that's the weekend after the NWTF convention. It's last weekend in February. So, it's always awesome to go to the convention, get fired up about turkeys, and the next weekend, Jake and I are in the woods together, last weekend in February, and uh, we've had great success. But I think the last four years, he's killed on that hunt, particularly, and in the South 70, February, last weekend of February. Man, that's awesome. So you guys get to get started last weekend of February with the youth hunt. That's it, yep. Wow, wow. We got to wait till you know, mid to late-ish April here 
uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, I don't think we have to worry about our birds doing too much too early though. The high today where I'm at was five. And so I think we're, uh, I think we're good. I think they're flocked up pretty good right now. Yeah. And I have to mention, I mean, I've hunted Wisconsin a couple of years and, uh, three or four years back and just love it. Love the rolling hills and the big hardwoods. Had a blast whacking turkeys in Wisconsin. A lot of fun. There's some hard goblin Easterns. Yeah, they are, man. So what, what part of the state have you hunted then? Oh, you had to ask me. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to come back to that and find out where my buddy uh, Keith Levick is actually at. I, I'm trying to remember where I flew into. I want to say it's southern Wisconsin, I think, is where I was at. Okay, so you probably flew into Madison. No, it was a big airport. It was a big airport. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, I have to, I have to go. Well, circle back. What's that? I said you may, if you flew into Wisconsin, it may have been Milwaukee. Um, that might sound, that sounds right. Okay. Yeah, that does. Yes. You're not, not too terribly far from where I'm at then. No kidding. Awesome. Lots of crop fields, big hardwoods. Um, and and the birds gobbled really well throughout the day. Um, up into the morning, the times I was there, I think I was there in, um, mid May is when I was hunting. I can't remember which, which season it was. Cause it did like four or five seasons. Uh, six of them. Yep. There you go. Yeah. I think I was in the fourth season if I remember correctly. Okay. Okay. You know, I'll be honest with you. I haven't found a bad season up here yet. Right. I mean, I've, yeah, I've there's a lot of turkeys, man. They're all over the okay, place. Okay, here we go. New Auburn, Wisconsin is where I hunted. New yeah. Auburn. New Auburn, Wisconsin. Okay. I don't know where that's yep. at. I'll have to Google it sometime. Yeah. They, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's right. Anyway. Well, Scott, you know, this is the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. I don't get to talk to a lot of folks from Florida. So why don't you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about you, a little bit about what you do, and uh, what got you into hunting and turkey hunting in particular? Okie dokie. What do I do? I I do a little bit of, I dabble in the outdoor industry a little bit. I'm with Woodhaven and Mossy Oak and Apex Ammunition, um, Thermocell, and, uh, Competitively turkey call have been doing so for a few moons now since 1992. <laughs> wow! And um, yeah, yeah, and uh, ultimately, I uh, grew up hunting down here in Florida on public land, and fell in love with turkeys. I was about ten, I think, and I duck hunted and squirrel hunted and deer hunted and rabbit hunted and dove hunted. And uh, just completely fell in love with the wild turkey because of the communication factor. The Dr. Doolittle effect is what I call it. Just being able to talk to animals and communicate with a bird and trying to convince it to come in close enough to a shotgun to, um, to harvest him, you know. And that was always intriguing to me how you're speaking to the animal. You're, you're ex- exploiting his emotions by the conversation. And that's just what happened to me and just, I was enamored with it. And what happened with the calling and taking the calling to the competitive level was the better I got on turkey calls, primarily mouth calls, um, the better I got on mouth calls and hunting public land growing up, you had to be, you were competitive. You were competing with a lot of other people out in the woods. And um, if you uh, sound a little more like a turkey, my friend, then you started, I, I realized really quickly I was killing more turkeys. And, um, that's when it took over and I started going, wow, I, I'm pretty good at this. I think, um, I know I sound a lot like what I'm hearing hens do. And, uh, I, I took it to the stage and got better and better and better. And then it became a labor of love all the way into the, this would have been the early nineties. I joined the army, went around the world twice, uh, for six years and came home to Florida in 99 and, um, a little bit of a hiatus in the army years. I called in South Carolina a couple years. Um, didn't have much success. Uh, I, but I have to, I have to back up. First contest I called in in 92 was the Florida state senior division. I was 17. I called up from the juniors into the seniors. I placed second. So I was on top of the world. I was the best turkey caller to ever walk the face of the earth. Blah, 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 blah. I was pretty, pretty <laughs> confident young man. So I went in the army, um, traveled around, ended up in South Carolina and competed against the likes of old Mark Prudhomme and William Terry, all, uh, Joe Drake, all those guys. Well, Joe had been around a hundred years, but those guys were coming up as well and uh, got my butt handed to me pretty handily. And, you know, I called in one contest, thought I had to figure it out. Had and I had uh, far from that. And uh, so I moved back home after I got out of the army in 98, I moved home in 99 and then picked it back up my competitive um, calling. And um, I think the, the turning point was winning the Florida state in 03. I think the first time 
And, and then soon after that, I started building my own mouth calls and uh, designing my own stuff. And that's when you really take it to another level and finding out what works best for you as far as designing and building on your own terms with your own stretches, your own latex combinations, et cetera. So, yeah, that, that was that's the quick version of it, um, the short version. And uh, since then, I've traveled the country and I think I've killed birds in 26 states now. And I've got six Grand Slams and two Royal Slams. And I think two of those are single season Grand Slams, something like that. But I, I've had a ball. I've had a ball chasing them in all types of terrain, you know, in different climates. In Mexico, of course, for the Goulds with the Royal Slam, that was a blast up in the mountains. Um, Sierra Madres, um, just had a blast hunting in the Pacific Northwest. I've been to almost every corner of the U.S. I just haven't hit all the states in between, unfortunately, yet. And that's something I want to do before I'm dead. You know, I want to, I want to complete the Super Slam before I'm dead. Man, what a goal. What a goal. So, you know, a guy with as much experience as you, you know, we're up here in Wisconsin. I'm in, I'm in the southern part of the state, but, but we've got a very um, <clears throat> specific way, I guess you could say, of finding and hunting turkeys here that's probably a lot different than hunting them in the swamps of of florida so tell me a little bit of, what did you grow up hunting easterns or did you grow up hunting osceolas or both osceolas public land osceolas that's where i cut my teeth and i and i pay homage to the florida swamp turkey and on public land down here because i, I mean if you get good at killing these birds with all mainly the pressure the terrain's one thing they gobble less than any of the subspecies in my opinion this is a very generalized statement after hunting all the subspecies quite extensively. They call it, they gobble a lot less. They're a lot less flamboyant. Um, and, um, again, the train features make it a little tougher to hunt them. And I think if you can learn to kill them consistently with all the pressure and all the comp- competition on public down down here, you can kill any turkey anywhere. And that's just, that's always been the deal. Now we do have fields like you have ag fields up there. We have pastures down here. So we, there is a lot of field turkeys in Florida as well. We have a lot more diversified um, uh, terrain than people think. We have orange groves. We have pines. We have big live oak hammocks. We have mixtures of hardwoods. Um, we have a little bit more than people think. They just hear – we have cypress swamps. You know, it has cypress heads, beautiful cypress heads that are fun to hunt them in when it's not wet and flooded, obviously. But uh, it's, it's a lot different. Now, you go further south you go, the more you get into the swampier, um, you know, more cypress um, infested type stuff, but here in central Florida, right? I'm still three hours from Gainesville, which is kind of the line of demarcation for Osceola's. And, um, it's very diversified down here, a lot of different types of terrain. Um, so you just, I think the elevation in, in any way, shape or form makes any kind of turkey a little tougher to hunt. Um, I've always said Easterns in elevation are one of the hardest turkeys to hunt outside of, of uh, Osceola's down here. And, and, um, Something about getting in front of them, getting above them. There's just a lot of things. They seem to travel. They seem very nomadic. And this is hunting the Easterns in elevation, Rio's in, in, in elevation in the Pacific Northwest, and Miriam's in elevation in Nebraska, in South Dakota. So the, the, the mountains and the hills have always seemed to be a challenge to me. The flatter hardwood stuff, this seems to be easier to call a turkey through, but. Man, yeah, you know what? Uh, it's been a consistent thing with the people that I've talked to, and and I've talked to some guys, you know, um, you know Dave Owens and Shane Simpson and a couple of others, and the consistent thing across the board has been that Osceola's will humble you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just. I mean, that. And again, I say this is a broad stroke and a very generalized statement because. I've had Osceola's run me over like they were the dumbest two-year-old and you have an inch and a half spurs. You know, it just depends on the turkey and on the day. Now, I've killed, oh, man, a, a truckload of Osceola's. Obviously, I've been hunting them since I was for 35 years, more, you know, extensively outside of my travels across the U.S. But, yeah, if you took a big, big broad, general statement, definitely the Easterns, to me, are a very close second. Easterns can be stubborn and hard-headed. But uh, they're they're a tough bird to hunt, and it's and it's a lot of it's too is finding even finding ground to hunt anymore. Either you pay an outfitter, or you put in for a quota draw, or you try to tackle the non-quoted uh, public land, which is even harder to hunt. So, not a lot of options, and you know the, the ground is very limited in Florida. Yeah. So, what would what might your advice be? You know, there may be a guy here in, in Wisconsin that's like, "Ooh, hunting turkeys in early March sounds real, real good." Uh, I want to mm-hmm. jump down there and uh, try my hand at one of these Osceola 
Florida birds before our season comes in in April. Uh, what what advice might you give somebody? Are you gonna Are you gonna tell them, hey, look, if you're not from here and you don't have access to land, you need to find an outfitter, or where are you gonna point them? Yeah, yeah, I would. You would get in the quota system. Um, um, Florida hunters that here that happen to hear this podcast are gonna hate me, but I mean, you just need to get in and apply for quotas. They also have special opportunity hunts. The the general quotas are free to apply for. You have to buy a management area stamp a WMA stamp. Now the special op hunts are $5 per application and those are jam up hunts. And then you pay, if you're drawn, you'll pay 150 to $175 for that special opportunity hunt. And outside of that, man is getting with an outfitter and they're pricey. These things are going up every year with everybody I know. And I know a lot of outfitters obviously down here, but it's getting more and more expensive. The landowners are catching on every year and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're asking for more and more money from each, from each of the birds that are taken off their property. And that just, Inflation, man, inflation's killing it. But. Yep, yep. And supply and demand. Where else are you yep. going to go to get an Osceola? Nowhere in the whole wide world. Yep. Man, man. Good stuff. Well, hey, let's let's jump into talking a little bit about a little bit about turkeys. I wanted to have you on for a couple of reasons. Number one, you're a champion caller, man. You're really good at it. You've got an app that we can get into here in just a little bit to help others learn how to become a better caller. And uh, number two, I've heard you talk a lot about knowing when to say the right thing and also mm-hmm. mentioned before, um, you know, being able to recognize what part of the season that you're in and how you talk to turkeys during that specific part of the season. I caught you saying right. that on a different podcast. And, you know, that's not something that we hear a whole, whole lot about. I mean, I've heard a lot about different people hunting different stages of the rut when it comes to white-tailed deer, but I don't mm-hmm. hear a ton out there about the different phases of a turkey season. So I'm wondering if you right. can kind of walk me through how would you break down, and you know where I'm at here in Wisconsin, so, you know, maybe speak in generalities because it's not going to be the same as Florida, but, but how would you walk somebody through understanding the different parts of a spring for for the turkeys and what they're doing and how are you going to talk to them differently as the season progresses? Oh boy. There goes an hour. You got an hour. (laughs) (laughs) We got all the time you Uh, got Scott. Um, so the basic journey for the gobbler is the daylight intake in the, um, retina starts to, as the days get longer and they take in more daylight and the days get longer, that's what triggers the testosterone. Okay. And that's what then, puts them into the breeding frenzy and puts them more and more into the breeding cycle, if you will. It's the amount of daylight that they take in in their eyes um, as the days get longer, closer to in spring draws near. Now I'll try to run through this as fast as I can, as simple as I can. You basically have the gathering or the, um, the uh, very first phase is not the gathering, but it's, it's the, um, they start getting froggy. They start getting frisky. They start gobbling as the days get longer. The testosterone count goes up and they're basically just waking up in the morning and they're, feeling froggy and it's like, well, wait a minute. I think I'm feeling a little, a little bit, um, sexy this morning. So I'm going to start gobbling and they start gobbling and birds remember are going to be, they're flocked up still. They could be in bachelor flocks, the gobblers, the jakes can be mixed together with hens and jennies. They could be in their own little bachelor jake groups, if you will. But at, at some point as the breeding season wanes, it's going to allow them to, or waxes, excuse me. It's going to, they're going to start fighting. They're going to start breaking up. And at that point, which we can encounter this sometimes in that early season in February, they're not super fired up yet, but as they're establishing pecking orders, they're fighting, they're, they're spreading out, they're doing the, the fall breakup, the winter breakup. Now, once that happens and they do establish their areas and their domains and they, they're doing their thing, then what I would call is in the gathering phase. And that's when the birds are just, they're, they're getting on the roost, they're gobbling in the mornings and they're trying to get hens to gobble up hens, to gobble up hens, to gobble up hens. And that's when, you know, they could be somewhat susceptible to calling. And when I try to, I try to key a lot on male vocalizations in that early season sometimes, because sometimes gobbling back at one or a fight, will will get them fired up and get them coming to look to see what's going on and what the uh, ruckus is about, if you will. And as they start gathering hens, then they become hinned up. Okay. And when they get hinned up, we all know that's when it's the toughest part. They're actively breeding and that goes on for a few weeks. And that's when it can be tough. That's when I key a lot on talking to the hens. So we can go into that a little bit later. I'm trying to just give you the breakdown of the breeding cycle. And then once the hens start leaving the gobblers and, and laying and setting, then they become more vocal again because they're out trying to find any hen that they haven't bred. They're trying to, it's like a buck cruising after almost like post rut stuff. And when they're still in the mood, 
trying to find that one hot doe. And then the gobblers will start cruising and them themselves and looking for that one particular hen that has not been bred. And um, then the season kind of winds down. That, that's in a nutshell, basically, the, 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 the couple of phases that they go through from gathering to being with the hens to basically the hens leaving and starting to set in nest. And that's kind of, it's kind of like three phases. You could probably get a little more detail than that, but that's the gist of it. And calling to them, I guess part of it is you asked about identifying that phase. And, it, you know, uh, the gathering phases, when you hear them gobble good on the roost and then they're on the ground, they're still gobbling real good. And I'm like, man, this, this is the best part of the year because they're, they're looking, they're looking for hens. They're trying to, they're very vocal, somewhat more call receptive. Um, and not all of them are going to have hens. So they do hear a hen. They could come running you over, especially two-year-olds that we love so dearly. Um, and then I, I'm going to be at that point in the game. I, I, I'd like to say that I could isolate each phase with a particular style of calling, but it just depends on that turkey and how I'm conversating with that turkey. So I'll try to be general. I mean, earlier season, less pressure. Birds are more vocal. They're gathering. They're doing. They're gathering hens. They're trying to attract hens. Um, I would call maybe a little louder, a little more aggressive, feel, feel a little freer to call as the season gets into to the, being with the hens. That's when it gets a little more difficult because um, hens can, or, you know, they're, they're particular little creatures and they might drag the gobbler off if you get too aggressive. That's a whole nother podcast when you hear, you've had to have heard me talk about calling to the hens at some point. So when they're with the hens, I'm trying, and, I, and you can identify they're with the hens, they're hand up. That's when you, I, I might gobble you up. I might fighting purr. I might gobbler or gobble at them. I might stage a fight with wings, with audio sound, sounds that are not necessarily just turkey vocalizations. Um, do a lot of patterning, trying to figure out where the hens are going. That can be something that you have to do. You have to put them between where they want to be and where those hens are going and where your um, where your setup is, you just may have to reposition, get in front of them. Sometimes it's not about calling, you know. Sometimes it's about setup and just being in the right place where they're wanting to be. And um, and then again, going back, uh, I'll, I'll kind of lead into this whole dissertation as quickly as I can put it about uh, calling to the hens when you know and identify that they're hand up. See, here's the thing: always dictate your calling by what that hen is doing, and never get aggressive too fast. That's the key to the whole game when everybody wants to be, man, I got after her. And, and that one time, you know, she got mad at me and then she brought the gobbler over and I shot him. And then about eight, eight out of 10 times, you're going to piss her off or she, or not piss her off. You're going to um, offend her and she's going to do what? She'll take him off. Well, Take him somewhere. She walks the other way. Yeah, yeah. What a trick question. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is this is great. Yeah. This is exactly what I wanted you to start to get into because you know I I was taught. Hey, you hear a hen, get back at you're her starting. and and just just get on her hard. But then Biggest I've heard you talk. What's no, that? Yeah. Biggest misconception that people have in their head that is a turkey hunter that is to get aggressive like that and jump all over a hen. That's right. She has okay. So that boss hen who's probably the one that's talking to you and say, you just, you, just be civil, start the conversation civil. Okay. Start it off. If you can identify, you hear her yelping, then you yelp back very politely. And if, even if she starts cutting, just yelp at her, don't jump on her too quick. Because if you start the conversation civil and okay, she's going to have one that, that boss hen has one or two personalities. I left this part out. She's either the coy passive type boss hen who wants no confrontation whatsoever you jump on her, she's going to immediately walk off and drag the gobbler off. If you get lucky enough to get the aggressive, dominant, super uh, uh, confrontational hen, if you will, boss hen, then that you've been lucky enough to get the one that could get pissed off and then drag the gobbler over to you as soon as you start on, in on her. But anytime you always start the conversation with basic clucks and nice soft yelps and just be civil and say hello. If she's civil and says hello, you then then just keep that pace going. Keep that pace because she may be inquisitive and she just may want to walk over to you and just see who the newcomer is. If she's yelping, just yelping to you nicely and you go, oh boy, here we go. I'm going to get on her now, boys. And then you start cutting and hammering her. A lot of times, I'm telling you more times than not, she's going to turn and walk the other way. I say, I say two out of 10 times do you get that, that nasty, aggressive, confrontational hand. Two, two, maybe one out of 10 you're going to get eight or nine out of 10 times where she's going to drag that gobbler off and go the other way. That's just, that's just my experience after dealing with hens for 35 years and calling to them and learning how to communicate. Start civil, only escalate if she escalates and you're going to be safe. That's all I can tell you. 
Yeah, man, I, I love that when I when I heard you talking about that because I've tried that here and you know I've only been turkey hunting for like two years or something. I mean, it, it not right. very long. And and one of the first things I heard was if you hear a hen, pop back at her and try to try to sort of outdo her, you know, kind of thing. Only, and, and that didn't work yeah. for me. It didn't work for me. How many times did he drag him off? Did she drag him off every time you've done it? Every single time. There you go. Every if single you time. Yelped at her or maybe kikied at her. I love keying to hens. That's something I left out. Uh, I guess we can get back to the phases. So, because I uh, we I, we got, we got off on that tangent on the talking to the hens. But keying is also something great to do. Um, I think it capitalizes on a hen's her brood maternal instinct, if you will, being the, the mama hen. And I think sometimes just imitating a Jenny or, or a hen keying, I I think it's worked for me. They sometimes will key back, and then sometimes they'll just wander over to see. Well, what are you doing over here by yourself? You're definitely not offended, or you're definitely not jumped on top of her. So that's key key to try that. You might be surprised how many more you'll, hens you'll call in and bring the gobblers in just by being civil. So then moving on to the other phase, which is which is the hens nesting and leaving the gobblers. This is where I might step up my game again and get a little more aggressive and call a little more frequently yet again because, again, at this point, they're getting lonely real quick. Hens are going off the set. They're going off or they're laying, you know, one of the two and they're just not paying him any attention. And sometimes they'll hang with them as long until the hens leave them, and then they get fired up, and that's when you want to get a little more fired up, cut a little bit more, maybe do some more excited yelping. And I feel like it, a lot of it's all dictated on pressure, Josh. I mean, hunting pressure, and that's either on private or public. doesn't matter. When they've heard turkeys' sounds that weren't necessarily coming from turkeys and they get bumped by humans, there can be a big, there's a big argument, ongoing argument. Oh, turkey sounds don't spook turkeys. I beg to differ with you. Whenever they see and are, are constantly being bumped and spooked by sounds coming from a direction they thought was a turkey and a human pops out and they get, they get spooked, they're not, turkeys aren't near as smart as we give them credit for, but their instincts are uncanny and they're in there. Obviously their senses are uncanny. So I just think at that point, pressure is something that dictates. If I'm in a place I know wasn't hunted too hard, well, I'm going to call a little bit more. If I'm hunting public ground and I know it's been hammered all season, I'm going to let that turkey be my calling guide, so to speak. But I'm going to definitely reel it back a little bit and try to do more clucking and purring, soft yelping, whining, that type of stuff. If I'm free, free to call a little bit more, then I might get a little bit more aggressive because they are more susceptible when they're lonely. We know this. But if they've been messed with an entire season on a, on a hunting lease or a hunt club or wherever, then you have to just let let him kind of be your guide. If he's really gobbling well and he seems to be responding to the call, you might better give him a little bit more. If he's a little less, re, he's more reluctant to answer the call and gobble, then it may be where you have to reel it back a little bit and, and, and play the feeding hen and just do a lot of realism and softer stuff. So that's basically the breakdown, I think, for the three phases, if you will. Um, of the turkey rut <laughs> and how I kind of dictate it. But again, disclaimer, for hunting pressure overrules any part of the phase of the actual hunt of the, of the season to me. That's the first thing I weigh on my mind is how much these birds have been messed with and how much they've been talked to. And that's where realism and calling also comes into another conversation on another podcast. How, why I feel that calling is much it's overlooked. And um, I hopefully have, Opened, I've opened the eyes to a lot of turkey hunters across this nation, this great nation, because I, all of my app, my app, my DVDs, Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2, my YouTube tips, Hunt Quest, I think I've opened a lot of eyes that calling and sounding more realistic has can kill you more turkeys, without a doubt. People, oh, it's all about setup, it's all about this. But usually the people that say that are people that's either too lazy or not talented enough to ever learn to be any better on any type of device. And I just call bullcrap on it because I – I have had too many conversations with too many turkeys on too many places I've never set foot on, knew nothing about the turkeys, knew nothing about the property other than we heard some goblin over yonder, and I consistently kill turkeys year in, year out, everywhere I go, outside of just being in an area that does have birds. Um, and that's not just because, oh, I knew where to set up, and I patterned them, and I knew where they were going. It has nothing to do with it. It has a lot to do with, yeah, good setup is everything. If you can only base that on what you're seeing and what you, you know, you show up and die at dark and you know nothing about the land, the lay of land. I think there's a ridge over yonder. <laughs> you know, that's all you got to go on. And then you start trying to figure out as the sun's breaking daylight, you, you're trying to figure out, okay, he's gobbling here. It looks here. Use Google Maps. That's a great device to help you kind of get an idea of the terrain and what you're working with. And then you try to get into position to kill him. And a lot of times I just, in my heart of hearts, believe that 
exploiting his mood and, and dictating the conversation and his mood based on what you're saying to him, whether it's aggressive, whether it's quietness, you go quiet or silent, whether it's coy and shy, whether it's gaps in between your calling, whether it's getting really soft and, and scratching in the leaves and clucking and purring, whether it is scolding the gobbler because you need to get his attention because he's reluctant to gobble, then that's what that's what I do. So that's the broad stroke I was trying to lay this, this claim to is a turkey's got to be a turkey. You can you, you can take all these variables. What I think a successful turkey hunter does, he puts all these variables in his computer, his turkey computer, his process, turkey processor, if you will, and then he spits out formulas or, or, or tactics or techniques for success. And that's what myself and a lot of other great turkey hunters I know um, do and make it. And that's how we become consistent. You've you got a huge playbook and you, 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 you pump those variables into that playbook computer, that computer, and then it spits out plays that you're trying to put, whether it's goblin at him, whether it's repositioning, whether it's calling for the hens, whether it's calling aggressive, calling softer. There, there's, there's, you know, there's a hundred different variables you could do that could change your destiny. Don't ever get stuck on one and don't ever get, get uh, cornered into one type of technique or one style of calling. So sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit, but it's just, um, it's just the, the calling aspect is just very near and dear to my heart because I know it's made a huge difference in my success outside of being a great woodsman. It's going to make you be more successful. We know this setup, understanding terrain, understanding the biology of the wild turkey, understanding those phases you just talked about. And then other than that, just reading him and understanding his body language and his, how he's reacting to your calling. Yeah, no, no, this is this is all fantastic information. You know, it, it made me wonder one thing. You know, as a newer turkey hunter myself, I've been doing it for about two years, and I'm thinking about, you know, my turkey computer, let's say, and I've learned some lessons, and uh, I've been very fortunate in two years. Uh, one, I think I just uh, – I, I understand land and the way animals use the land, and two, I, uh, I live in a place with a lot of turkeys, and so I've had a lot of success right. in two years, uh, but a lot right. of that I feel like is is sort of – despite me not being a very talented turkey caller, let's say. So what are some of those things right. that you're going to tell a guy to do, uh, number one, to improve when it, comes to, when it comes to his turkey calling? And number two, how do I sharpen that computer that I'm putting variables into and spitting out the formulas? You know, like, are there any, not a shortcut, but is there anything that I can do to sort of uh, flatten out that learning curve a little bit? Um, yeah, you can, you can go to YouTube and watch experienced guys, Owens, Simpson, myself, um, Culpepper from real tree. And there's some turkey killers on there and get it done anywhere they go on public and private. Um, learn from experience, watch what people do, watch the instructional stuff Two, uh, t something that I regret never doing is documenting your hunts. Um, a little bit of extra legwork, but documenting simple things like wind and um, barometric pressure, temperature, humidity, what worked, what didn't work. I, I, I mean, they have these little logs now that you can do all this on, and I would have given anything as a kid. Luckily, my memory has, is still with me, and, and it's just the experience level, and it's, and it's just uh, what worked in that situation. And that may not work again for three years, but you, re you remember some similar scenario that, that played out that's like, I, I remember Gobbler Simulus, and this is what I did. And then you, and then it's just running through that playbook. Just try anything. Don't be afraid to try something. Don't do 50 plays in five minutes now. Okay. <laughs> Let's just be clear. You got to slow it down. You got to, you got to try a tactic, see if it works, see how it reacts to it, whether it's goblin adding Jake yelping, fighting purrs, cutting real aggressive, calling softer, whatever it is that you're doing, give it a minute, give it, a, you know, 20, 30 minutes to try that tactic. Cause I, I know a lot of guys will, We'll try too many things too quickly, and I don't think it, it, the, the tactic had a chance to gel, if you will, and to see if it would have worked and would have changed his mind or his, his mood. But um, so that's one thing to hone those skills and just like hunting with experienced turkey hunters. And um, the other part of the question was how do you get better to be a better caller? Well, I mean, I've got two DVDs for mouth calls. You can get it on my website, scottellishunting.com, mouth call magic one and two, and uh, my the app Turkey Tech is a great, great tool. You have it. There's, there's real Turkey on it. That's the next step is, is listen to real turkeys and listen to hens and try to emulate them. Um, and then try to copy their cadence, the rhythm tone is not as important as cadence and rhythm in my opinion. And, and, um, just good rhythm and mediocre tone is a lot better than bad rhythm and great tone. So if that makes any sense, yeah. which I, you know, it's self-explanatory, just rhythm is more important because, you know, some hens are scratchy and deeper and some are higher pitched and cleaner or clearer and, 
every hand has a different voice. Um, um, and it's whatever. And then, and then just master that one device that you seem to be really good at. Um, uh, if it's a pot call and you cannot run a mouth call and you struggle, you choke on it, you have a gag reflex. I mean, there's reasons then, um, then go to a pot call or just, just, or go to a box call, use whatever you can be consistent with and that has the best tone. Um, although mouth calls, I got a disclaimer. They're the most versatile. You can do anything on them. You can put in more inflection in them than any other call. You can kiki, you can whine, you can bubble cluck, you can cluck, you can cackle, you can cut, you can gobble yell. There's any, there's no turkey sound that you can't emulate on uh, an aluminum frame, surgical tape, and latex. I mean, truly. So um, I would be, it'd behoove anybody, and it's hands-free operation. So I'd behoove anybody to, to try my app, try the two DVDs, go to YouTube. There's some other good instructions on YouTube. And, um, and study turkeys and their voices and their rhythms and more than anything, study them. And that's what my app, the, the Turkey Tech app does. It has, as you know, it has wild turkey on there. It has me on there on a mouth call, box call, and a pot call. And you can record yourself and run it against my calling, or you can run it against, more importantly, the wild turkey. And um, that's, that's epic, man. When you can play that together and listen to your rhythms and tones versus the turkey, then you, then you know when you're getting closer and closer to realism, in my opinion. Yep. So. Yep. I can't, I can't recommend that Turkey tech app enough. That's been fantastic for me. And one of the things that I did, I figured if I'm going to jump into this Turkey thing and I want to learn a mouth call, then I was going to push myself not to bring any other calls with me into the woods. So I did a little right. bit of practicing and, uh, set off with nothing but the mouth call just to force myself not to fall back, uh, to a box mm-hmm. call or something like that. And, uh, I, I think it, you know, one, it's paid off too. It, it's let me know how bad you can sound and still get away with it sometimes. Uh, <laughs> Cause you mm-hmm. know, you hit that, you hit that wrong note and it, it, boy, it just makes you cringe. Um, yeah, but you know, it's funny that there was such a faux pas or a, a misconception back in the days I was learning in the eighties. Don't make that one note on that Turkey call. You're going to run that sucker out of the crack, man. You know, you've listened to hands. Come on. I have never in all my years, never one single time made some note. Now, obviously I don't make many sour notes anymore, but even you know, as a youngin, never made some, the only thing you could possibly ever do that that may apply to is, is an alarm putt. If you somehow emulated the perfect alarm putt, you know, just that hard, sharp, higher pitch cluck. And I just, it's, I just don't, it's, it has so much inflection and such a unique tone versus a cut, even or a regular cluck. I just don't, I don't think it happens. I've never done it. Never done it once. Yep. And made some really crappy notes when I was a kid and learning how to run these things and master this little thing. But, um, you know, the other thing too, you know, I want to tie something in that you, that we talked about a while, a while ago now is the competition calling is uh, something that, that brought great success for me and not saying that everybody or anybody needs to go competitively Turkey call, but what it did do as my, as I grew in calling and got better and, and more, uh, better at executing was the ability to call on demand is what I call it. Calling on demand. Um, you, when you need to make that one sound, that one soft cluck, that one beautiful little purr, when you, when you take your calling to the next level, again, we'll call it next level calling, not necessarily competition calling. You learn to control that call. The call doesn't control you. And when you want to make a sound, you make it. I've watched guys struggle for years because they didn't practice. They didn't take it to the next level. They couldn't get the sound out. They wanted to get out, especially under the gun and under the pressure and the, and the nerves and the adrenaline. When a gobbler's out there 80 yards hammering his brains out and you're trying to, and you're cotton mouth and you're nervous and you're excited and you're trying to get that one cluck or whatever, get your tongue to roll or your uvula to vibrate to create a purr and your mouth so dry, you've got cotton mouth. So yeah, what it does is taking it, we'll call it again, next level calling. It allows you to be able to make the sound when you want to make the sound and have control of that call. And that's huge in the turkey woods because you're speaking to this bird and you're trying to exploit his mood and you want to be able to say what you want to say when you want to say it outside of going cut, cut, yelp, 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 cut, cut, yelp, 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 cut, cut, yelp, yelp, yelp. And that's what you hear a large percent of a, a percentage of turkey callers do is they get repetitive and they do the same thing over and over and over again. Yep. Yep. And you know what? I, I think like you mentioned earlier, as you get more proficient, you're going to be uh, having a lot more success on heavily pressured land. Now I haven't made a note that I thought scared a bird yet, but I have hunted some of these field birds up here in Wisconsin and I've stayed in that wood line and I've called to them and watch them turn and walk away from me a hundred yards, stop and start strutting right. again. 
and I've moved on them, yeah. you know, down the wood line, get to where I know they can't see me, but I call to them. They do the same thing. They break strut. They walk a hundred yards. They stop. They start strutting again. Yeah, that's yeah. just home pressure, in my opinion. That's just birds that have been uh, probably been in seen deeks. Now, were you inside the woodland, the woodline? Because you know that's one of my things that I, I call hiding the hen that I preach and preach and preach on podcasts, and I've done a bunch of them. Um, don't you don't want to get very close to the edge of the woods ever because he, he should be able to see you there. So if you're too far, if you're not 30, 40 yards inside the wood line, I like to, when I have a field bird like that, and I don't run decoys, that's pretty, you probably knew that, or maybe you didn't, but I rarely, 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 if ever run decoys. And, um, that's one of the things I learned to do. And it's not just field birds. It's in the woods. It's, it's on the, around the bend of a curve. It's in an elevation change. It's in a piece of cover where I might be able to hide myself and make him come look to where he's here in this sexy hen. He has to come take a peek. He can't look through the woods or look down the road and lay eyes on where he thinks that hen should be standing. And that's curiosity kills the cat. And that's what that does. So I didn't let you answer, but were you just inside the woodline hiding or were you well inside the woodline when you were trying to call to a field bird like that? No, I, it was, it was thick. So I was probably 15 yards in the woods, not very far okay. at all. And I never, okay. you know, thinking back on, on one particular situation, I, I could have backed down off of this ridge uh, mm-hmm. that was just off the field. And I could have, I could have started to work away from him and I never once tried that, but uh, you know, he, he wasn't gobbling to me. He was just out in the field mm-hmm. strutting. And uh, never would answer, oh, yeah. and so I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't know the play there. So would you have backed off? Would you have just sat forty yards and set up shop for an hour, or how would you have handled that? Um, it just depends on how you located him first and foremost. Like, as in, did you spot him slipping through the woods, glassing the fields? Basically, is that kind of how that worked for you? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So when you spot one like that, I mean, the easiest thing to do is going to be to just. I'm not going to get all the way to the edge of those woods. I'm going to be well inside them. Give him some yelping and see how he reacts to it. And, and you, know, you know, it doesn't work every time. Like I said, remember, have that playbook, that very, very multi-page playbook so that you can try something else. Because, I mean, a field turkey, when he acts like that, is, is that's one of the hardest turkeys you'll ever kill. You know what I mean? Um, they just, especially when he, apparently, he has been pressured enough to where he's just walking off at the sound of calling. That's pretty tough. Um, there's not a lot you can do in that situation. You maybe gobble at them. That's when you start pulling the tricks out of the playbook. Gobble at them. Stage a fight with, with wings, you know, so you can get the wing sounds with the fighting purrs and the lines. Um, but how I would have done it is just, to, you know, try calling to him well, well, well inside the wood line. Um, as far back as I can, and he hear me, and uh, I know that I can't. he can't see me pretty much. And um, see how he reacts to it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But that just clearly shows that that bird's been – he's been – he even played with a little bit, but oh yeah, for sure. This he was in a field regularly, and this field is is on public and visible from the road. So oh, wow. I mean, he'd been messed with. Been calling to him out of their truck windows, and you know everything oh, yeah. else. Yep, okay. he'd he'd seen it all at that point of the season, and I think it was the the fourth or fifth season here. So I mean, it was getting later in the year. Oh anyway. wow, but. He probably is still alive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably so, yeah. probably so. Another thing that I've seen, and, and I know you don't use decoys, and, uh, you know, I've, I, the first turkey I killed on my own here in Wisconsin, I didn't use a decoy, and I followed your advice. I hid the hen. I got just over this little rise from where the turkey was going to have to come and poke his head up over the rise before, um, you know, before he could see where the calling was coming from. And I, and I was able to nail him. One of the, one of the things that I have seen here though, on this public, especially with some of these field birds is if you're in the field already and they're not, and they come out and they poke their head out and they see that decoy, I've seen them turn and walk away. Yes, sir. Yeah. I mean, they, they just, they, they see decoys a lot, you know what I mean? And I think if they have any type of bad experience with that decoy, Shot at too far, bump, spook, whatever. I just, I think, I think at the end of the day, no matter how realistic it is, uh, the motion, the lack of motion, I think, is at the end of the day what will get one that's been a little boogery. Um, a lot of, a lot of people will argue that the, if you use a stuffer decoy with actual feathers, that that's a game changer. Um, can't say that I have enough experience even to even to, to, to debate it or to challenge it, but, but I do know that the fact that 
when they have a bad experience over him, I think just that solid, motionless hand just standing there, I think that they, they figure that out really quick. Now, if she was moving, if you had one of those little robot hands, you drive around a remote control car, put a little movement to it, whatever. <laughs> something like that could possibly be something that putting the motion to the D could make something that works. And heck, I don't even know how that works state to state anymore. What's illegal? What's not illegal? I don't have to tote them, so I don't have to worry about it. You know what? I think it's illegal here, but it'd be cool to go out and just video that. Just to see how they reacted to it. Yeah, yeah just, just to see what happens, especially on, on heavily pressured public and see if that changes anything. Right. Well, the motion wouldn't exactly be natural with wheels, so that's hard to say how he how really how he re- react to it. Not a lot yeah. of hands with four wheel drive, I guess. No, not at all. <laughs> well, Scott, we've we've covered a lot of ground, man, and you're obviously a wealth of knowledge. So uh, I'd love to have you on again some other time. But uh, you know, before I let you go, you've got so much experience hunting all around the country. Uh, so far, what has been your favorite place to hunt turkeys? Oh gosh, you know, I get asked this and it seems like it's a different answer every time I, I answer it. Um, <laughs> depends on the mood that I'm in at that particular time. I'll be honest. I think I've said this more than once. I love hunting the Pacific Northwest, uh, Idaho, Washington, Oregon. Wow. What is that is some kind of scenery and some beauty out there. I just can't, can't explain it. Um, so that's, that was, that was a real treat. I, I love hunting the hills and the elevation, man. It's a different animal, different bird. They're a harder bird in my opinion, as we mentioned earlier, but, um, I love hunting hardwoods. I'm a huge advocate of big, just gorgeous hardwood, hardwood bottoms. Um, that is my thing. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, gosh, he doesn't, he, you know, Florida being my home state, I guess when you hunt there long enough, you always have, it'll always be your first love, I guess. But, if if it was Florida, it would be live live oak hammocks. I love hunting the big oak hammocks in Florida. That's just a thing with cabbage palms and palmettas sprinkled in there, and hickory trees and sweet gums and and big oaks. Uh, that's that's just a lot of cool hunting. And, and I, I love I love the big woods. Not I don't care for turkeys in fields at all. I mean, you do what you have to do when the time arises. We've already talked about that. Um, I hate hunting orange groves in Florida. If that's any consolation, yeah, I do not. I, the orange grove turkeys are a pain, and it's hard to set up on them. But they do. They are very. Uh, they're they're a lure to a wild turkey. They got bugs. They have shade. They have cover. There's a lot of turkeys in orange groves, and a lot of people hunt them in Florida in orange groves. But not my favorite. Not my favorite. But as far as man-made terrain, basically, you know, it's not natural. It's not natural. But and. Um, I think that covers it pretty much, man. Yeah, yeah, that pretty much covers where I'll, uh, my favorite places. Now, I love. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you this one more. Love Northwest Nebraska up in the Pine Ridges. Oh yeah, Ponderosa. And I love South Dakota. South Dakota was amazing. So, yeah, I guess all of it. If it, outside of me mentioning Florida, a lot of it's had, just elevation. I love hunting them in elevation. It's something. I guess when you hunted flatland your entire life, like I have, it's just cool to hunt them in those hills. And even though it, it kicks your butt and you got to get your wheels out underneath you as you're going up down those hills. You know, get your get your wind and your 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 boots underneath you. Once you do, it's it's a, it's just a lot of fun hunting. Sure, sure. Well, man, what do you got planned for uh, for this year? So you're gonna be hunting down in Florida, obviously, at the early in the season. All right. You know, it's a lot of I've had a lot of life changes in the last year, and um, I'm flying a little bit by the seat of my pants right now. I've got to make some reconnects with some old friends. Because right when COVID hit, I have, I was going to Washington State, I was going to Michigan and Maine, and then of course I hunt Georgia, South Carolina, and Florida. So I usually hunt about six states probably. And this year, I I by now I usually have plane tickets bought and dates locked in, and I'm just I'm going to kind of go with the flow this year. Um, last year I guided for the first two weeks of season. I was actually in between jobs. And guided with SNN Outfitters, my buddy, good friend of mine, Spencer Jones, and had the time of my life. You know, I loved having that pressure put on me, um, but I prevailed, and all clients got birds, and I made money doing it. I mean, what a great treat, right? I mean, you do what better. you love, and you, make, yeah, making a pretty good little lick at it. You know, it's, it made I made some really good money over two weeks, and just had a ball. Got a lot of hunts for Hunt Quest, my show. I've actually got to do some editing here. I got four or five more shows to edit um, with those hunts from clients. And uh, so, to answer your question, I, I mean, pro- definitely Georgia because I pay. I've already bought a deer license or the hunt license in uh, November, which is good for a year. So I'm good in in Georgia, and that's a three hundred some odd dollar hunt license. So definitely hunting Georgia with my friend Glenn Maddox um, up there in central Georgia, south central Georgia. 
South Carolina is almost always on the menu because that's where I killed my first Eastern on Fort Jackson when I was in the Army back in 1995 is when I killed my very first Eastern turkey. So that whatever, what year are we in? 22, what is that, 27 years ago now? Yeah, yep. Or is that the right math? Holy cow. Yep. 27 years ago, my first Eastern turkey. Yeah. So anyway, and and I usually try to go back and hunt Fort Jackson, and then there's a, another place I will not speak of that's a public draw hunt that I, I'm not going to say on the <laughs> recording. But um, we usually get drawn for it, and it's a home away from home, and I, I just love hunting the place. And we put in for that every year. In some years, we don't get drawn, but – but South Carolina and Georgia definitely on the menu. And outside of that, I don't know exactly yet. So that, that, sorry to get that long-winded on where are you hunting this year. I'm not really real sure. I don't know. Um, don't care if I have to kill another Grand Slam. or a, I love Miriams and Rios, just to make that statement, because they gobble all day long, and they're, they're just they're fun to call to. That's what I love about Miriams and Rios. Just they're fun to hunt. Um, any given time, you hit a crow call, hit an owl, cut real hard. Almost any time of the day, you're going to get a response eventually from one of those birds. You know, Eastern's very fickle on their gobbling, and Osceola's even worse than Eastern's as far as when they decide they're going to gobble and when they're not. You know, you go out behind Osceola's and Eastern's, and you'll hear five one morning, go to the next spot the very next morning, and hear zero. And you know those birds are there. So, yep. Miriam and Rios, it's almost a given they're going to gobble. They're just going to gobble. Mm. That's just what they do. Yeah. And I love that about Miriam's and Rios. It's all about the gobble. Man. Man. Well, hey, you make your way up here to uh, to Wisconsin. Shoot me a text. I want to know. I want to at least know what you're up to. So, uh, man, I Absolutely. appreciate you coming on. And uh, where can folks find all of your stuff? I mean, I feel like I feel like you're all over the place. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but where where can people find more from you? Uh, my website is scottellishunting.com. Um, you can get a Hunt Quest t-shirt. More importantly, my DVDs are there. And uh, the, I haven't, I have to admit, I've been um, slacking on keeping it updated with fresh content. It's just, you know, busy times and life changes. And But uh, my website's got, it's got some videos. It's got some tips and, and, you know, tricks and whatnot. And my YouTube channel is where my show is, Hunt Quest. That's where you're going to find a lot of great turkey tips and a lot of great hunting shows, some deer hunting, sprinkling in some dove hunting, some quail hunting, some different stuff, some hog hunting, but primarily turkeys. And, um, Facebook is a uh, hunt quest with Scott Ellis. That's uh that's the business page, the fan page, if you will. Um, Instagram is uh, Scott underscore C underscore Ellis. And you can find stuff there. Uh, my app Turkey tech with Scott Ellis is on Google play and the app store. And um, I think that pretty much covers it. I think that's the uh, that's the gamut of all my social media stuff, and I always try to keep it fresh and uh, keep people entertained and and teaching them. I think I'll leave you with this because I'm getting long winded, but I think if anything I ever I'm ever remembered for one day is that Ellis was the one that was that did the app. He put the DVDs out there that were genuine and they were real and they were great instructional tools and um, the YouTube channel. There was always a lot of instruction, and he, I think he just really genuinely tried to help people become better turkey hunters. And um, a lot of people are very stingy with that knowledge, and especially back in the era I came from in the 80s and even prior to that for the old, old-timers. Buddy, when you figured out something about a wild turkey, it was people were very, very stingy. You were frowned upon for sharing any type of information or knowledge, and I'm just the opposite. And you know what? We need numbers right now. We need hunters in large numbers the way – the world is turning these days and what better way to get more people involved in outdoors and in hunting turkeys than to give them some tools that helps, helps them be a little more successful with, Hey, you know what? A little less effort, but it helps them get out there and maybe kill that one turkey a season. They would not have killed otherwise. And that gets them hooked and that gets them buying shells and turkey calls and hunting licenses and camouflage, et cetera, et cetera. Help the guys be a little bit better and the gals be a little better at what they do. Have a little success, and a little success goes a long ways in longevity and, and, and hunting wild turkeys or hunting anything for that matter. So, yeah, I'm hopefully I, that, that'll be my legacy when I'm dead one day. Hopefully, is that I was that guy that tried to tried to help the masses and had to try to help them be a little bit better turkey hunter. For sure. Well, I know I've certainly appreciated your uh, your videos on on YouTube, and uh, I tell you this Turkey Tech app uh, is is an absolute bargain for four ninety nine. I think is what I paid for it, or something <laughs> like that. I mean, it's a yeah, steal. Yeah. If guys don't have it yet and they want to be a better caller, I just don't even know what they're doing with their life. 
They need to. They need to go <laughs> get that. It, they need to go get that app. It's just the record feature is amazing. Live, you know, live turkey sounds amazing. You being on there is great. So, anyway, man, I appreciate you taking your time, and uh, yeah, I hope you have a good rest of your evening, and good luck to you this season. You too. Let's do it again anytime, Josh. And that is all for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. Big thanks to Scott for coming on. Looking forward to having him on the show again uh, as we get a little bit further into the spring. Also, big thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in every single week. Your support means a lot to us, and we couldn't do this without you. Uh, Yeah, really appreciate you guys uh, not only tuning in, but also, hey, if you get a chance, please share this podcast with somebody that you think may enjoy what we are doing here as well. Now it is time to seize the opportunity, get outside, enjoy the resource that is ours as Wisconsin sportsmen. Mm